Welcome to Commando On Demand Insider, your fast-paced weekly update straight from Kim's desk to your ears. I'm Mike James, and in just a bit, Kim talks with Joe Pag. Now, if you don't know who Joe Pags is, he's a nationally syndicated radio show host and a friend of the show. And Kim and Joe are going to cover everything from 5G, how AI is helping and forecasting the spread of the coronavirus, even spotting fake news and fake ads, much, much more. That is just moments away. And in the second part of the podcast, Stanford Hospital is often called the future of hospitals. It's in Palo Alto, California, and they spent over $2 billion building the thing, 824,000 square feet, a new level one trauma center and an emergency center. And they have all kinds of high-tech equipment to make the patient experience better. We are honored to have the vice president and chief of applications at New Stanford Hospital with us. His name is Gary Fritz, and that's coming up in the second part of this podcast. Now, a quick reminder before we get started, this is not the Kim Commando Show. Every week, Kim gives you the very latest tech news, tips, DIYs, and we take your questions on the Kim Commando Show. We're on over 400 radio stations nationwide, and we do have that as a podcast that you can get directly to your device. We'll find out more. Just go to GetKim.com. That's GetKim.com. All right, let's get started in just a few moments. Joe Pag's interview with Kim on Commando on Demand Insider. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Commando listeners know technology moves so fast, it's almost impossible to keep up with everything that's going on. And that's why there's Commando On Demand Insider. It's our way of keeping you informed and on the cutting edge of technology. And we're excited today to have uh, Joe Pag's interview with Kim Commando. Great radio stations across the land, JoePags.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email, it's all right there. Also, the live video feed, it's the Joe Pag Show. Glad to have you here. Really glad to have back my, my good friend and digital goddess, it's uh, Kim Commando. How are you, Kim? I'm good, Joe. Nice to see you. <laughs> good to see you again. Happy New Year. Um, so, uh, Commando.com, go there. Incredible information. I love the contract that you signed with your kids to make sure that they're yeah. safe on the internet. Make sure and you get that done. We talked about this just a minute ago. I'm watching the Super Bowl yesterday, and I don't watch a whole lot of football but i watched the super bowl it's an event for the family and there were several commercials about 5g and i think some of the commercials thought that we knew what it was and i think some of the commercials were there was one commercial that said 5g is great but it won't save your life it was all very weird (laughs) so uh, kim what is 5g why do i care and why is it like uh, omnipresent suddenly well see here's the deal like we had like 3g 4g 4g lte and now we have 5g And every time that we increase the G, so to speak, is that it's a greater transmission speed. And so, like, for example, if you wanted to watch, say, an HD movie on your phone or your tablet right now, you'd sit there, you'd queue it up, and then it would, like, slowly but surely start playing, right? Right. But with 5G. We get a lot of buffering. Right. But that's all gone. With 5G, it's like, boom, instantaneous. It's right there. Wow. And it's not just with movies, because as the 5G world rolls out, what we're really looking at is, for example, like smart cars will actually be able to talk to each other. It's hard to believe. 
But, you know, the tire manufacturer Pirelli, right? Yeah. Okay, so Pirelli is coming out with smart tires. And you're sitting there like, oh, why do we need smart tires? Well, if the smart tires actually get involved in an accident or if they see a pothole or whatever it may be, is now the cars will be able to talk to each other through the tires. But you'll also, the cars will be talking to each other about accidents, about traffic, and yeah. even telling each other, like, you know, this is a great restaurant coming up ahead. And so it's really going to revolutionize that aspect of our lives, but also medical tech, science tech, uh, air tech. I mean, you name it. This is going to be a total disruption, say, for the next five to 10 years. It's interesting. I don't know that I want my tires talking to other tires, but if it's a good thing at the end of the day, that that sounds good. Uh, let me ask you this, because you, you are, uh, like I am, an iPhone user. Um, uh, Apple did not put 5G oh. in the latest iPhone, so I'm still on a 7 Plus. I mean, I didn't even go to the 8 or the, the 10 or the, the XR, this and that and the other. And I certainly love the, the look of the 11. I'd like to have one. But why would I spend the money now if they don't have the latest technology in it? Well, it's not just the phone. You also need to have the coverage. And so okay. whether you use AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, you name it, is that you want to look at the coverage map to see if you can even get 5G. Like here in Phoenix, it's a big city, right? I mean, yeah. And but yet if I want to get 5G, I actually have to go downtown near the convention center oh. in order to get 5G. Um, you're right. Apple's kind of behind the eight ball when it starts coming to 5G. And so we're hoping that with the next iteration of the iPhone, say, you know, get announced in June at the Worldwide Developer Conference, and then we'll start seeing the hardware. It always is around September, October timeframe, is that we'll yeah. finally have a 5G phone because we'll finally have 5G coverage. You know, the 7 Plus is so bad. And it's a good phone, but it's so bad. I can't even wirelessly, you know, like charge this thing. You still have to plug it in. So I'm ready for the next iteration. I don't want to go Samsung because I'm used to, you know, FaceTime and everything else now. And I can jailbreak my iPhone and all that. Kim, always great information. Let's get into the, the coronavirus. Um, yeah. If you go online, uh, the coronavirus, and we'll talk about fake news in a second. It's like uh, it's everywhere now. But AI, you say, is taking on the coronavirus. In what way? Well, see, here's the deal, is that now we have artificial intelligence. Fifteen years ago, we had the SARS problem, right? But we didn't have AR, and that also, you know, the Internet wasn't exactly what it is today. So now with the coronavirus and using artificial intelligence is that we can scan news networks, 100,000 different stories in 65 languages every single day, and wow. that includes tweets and Facebook posts and things like that to try to figure out if there is an epidemic coming. And so AI is totally playing a huge role in this coronavirus. And people are saying, yes, it's a pandemic. And a lot of people don't know what that means. It just means, well, I don't know about you, but I'm not going near anybody who has been to China. Right. And that's a big deal. We've got a couple of cases now in Illinois. And as we watch this, you know, again, it's omnipresent. You know me, I'm kind of a tech dork. You are. So I'll go on. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'll go on Twitch and I'll watch some gamers play Fortnite. I like Fortnite. Um, and these people are all talking about the coronavirus. You go on TikTok. They're all talking about coronavirus. The, the the problem is, I mean, it's good that we're all aware of it. The problem is that we have no idea what to believe. So fake news yeah. has gotten a hold of this entire story. How do we sift through that and figure out what's real? Well, you know, that's the problem, Joe. And, you know, we don't have to talk about being a cheap geek because you could have gotten the iPhone 11. But we'll save it for another time. <laughs> when we start talking about fake news online, like, for example, one YouTube video accused the so-called deep state of using the coronavirus to draw attention away from President Trump's impeachment trial. Okay, It's, it's crazy. Uh, Google has reported that um, 
searches for the coronavirus and the corona beer have increased more than a thousand and fifty percent. The beer is safe, by the way. Uh, There's fake CDC alerts that are being spread. And then there's also one that says that Microsoft CEO Bill Gates funded the group that owns the coronavirus patent. So therefore, he's scheduled to make a profit from it when we all know that the worst thing that Bill Gates ever released on the public, I think, was Windows Vista. <laughs> Windows, no, Windows ME was pretty horrible. Oh, you I know tell what? You something. There was that. What was the other one? Oh, you remember Bob? Microsoft Bob? I think that yes. was out for just like a nanosecond. Or you could have gotten the Zune if you wanted to compete with the iPad <laughs> or, or with the iPod. It just didn't work out either. You know what? So, the so, Zune wasn't bad. I got to tell you, the Zune was not bad. It just didn't sell, but it didn't sell. That well, was the problem, yeah. right? Yeah, well, there was that. So so how do we know whether it's a safe source? I mean, if it sounds nuts, it probably is as a good way to start. But how do we know what, that what we're getting is real? Did well, you stick to sort resources yeah, that we normally would use like the you know world health organization the cdc website yeah. it, it, you've got to be very careful with that and this has nothing to do with the coronavirus but you'll notice at the end of like shark tank now the sharks will actually say hey there are a lot of ads out there that are fake saying that our products were That's on true. you know that their product was on our show Go to this website. You can check and see. So go to the source, like the World you know, the Health Organization. That's going to be very helpful, or the CDC. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, people can write anything they want on the Internet, say anything they want on the Internet. I had five different accounts sent to me last week uh, about a guy using my pictures to try to pick up women in Brazil. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I guess they did pretty well in Brazil, but I had no clue. Um, at the end of the day, the Internet is so great, but it's also a vast wasteland where anonymous people can take advantage of those of us who aren't paying attention. That's really the message, right? Well, you know, it is. And stop being so gullible, right? And look at this and say, oh, yeah, that must be true. Now, that CDC alert was actually sent to me by somebody who was a CEO of a hospital. Okay. Wow. And said, this is on social media. And then I wrote him back. I said, sorry, buddy. It's fake news. Yeah. Go to the actual CDC. It's Kim Commando. Go to commando.com. Download everything that she's ever done. Listen to her radio show in over 400 stations every week. And also on television. Go check that out, too. It's amazing. I love your set. You have to let me do my show from your set at some point. Can I do that? You're always welcome, Joe. But not right, with that I, iPhone 7. <laughs> Ban you at the door. First. No That's way. right. I don't, I don't blame you. TikTok, I'm on it now. I've got one video. I went to the daddy-daughter dance over the weekend with my daughter, Gia. Nice. And I posted one video from the daddy-daughter dance. I've got five views now, so I'm knocking it out. Maybe you, um, maybe you were just a crappy dancer. That, no, no, no. That's not a maybe. <laughs> oh, no, no. That actually happened, Kim. Uh, so uh, I've got a TikTok. It's, it's becoming uh, something that's everywhere now. The kids love it. What's the draw of TikTok? And what about these challenges? People are getting hurt. Well, you have the TikTok and they're like short 15 second videos. And the whole yeah. idea is that we now live in a society where we have the attention span of a gnat, right? And so right. if the video is more than a minute, we're like, I'm not into that. So now in order to do certain things, like you remember the ice bucket challenge? Well, now we have these TikTok challenges. And yeah. there's one that's circulating that's getting really a lot of traction. It's where you're supposed to uh, plug in a charger into the power outlet, but not all the way. And then you slide a penny into the exposed prongs. Okay, yes, sparks will oh. fly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, I don't know who's the genius behind that one, and wow. but people are actually getting shocked, literally. So you want, don't, definitely don't want to do that. And then there's another one. This is kind of strange, and this is primarily being spread among people who are in their teens and maybe late teens and early twenties. And so this one is that there's a filter, 
It's called the S5 filter. And so you're supposed to run this filter and then look into your phone's flash. And when you do this, your eye color will change. Okay. That's not how your eye color changes. Okay. So you you get a temporary blindness, uh, but yet people are swearing that this does happen. Uh, But the S5 filter, what it does, it gives a hint of blue to anything that you're looking at. And so your eyes will change color, but your eyes really won't change color. It's just happening in the TikTok video. I know it's so bizarre. And so what we need is a filter for common sense. That's exactly. And and that's not going to be available for a while. I don't think (laughs) it's Kim Commando, the digital goddess, commando.com. But before I let you go, do you have any thoughts on how these people are getting so viral? Like there's this one girl, Charlie D'Amelio, who went from zero viewers to like 25 million, it seems like in two months. Is it just that somebody likes a video and then it really is organic like that? Does a website like TikTok push a certain person? How does that work? You know, it's really hard to say because they don't release their algorithms, just like yeah, Google right. doesn't release their algorithms, right? And so, you know, the whole general thought is that if you could get somebody who's more famous than you to share and like your video, which if anybody's watching us right now, you know, and you happen to have 25 million views, you should be sharing what I do and what Joe does. I mean, you know, support the right. family. Come on, right. let's go. <laughs> uh, you know, do they buy views? Sometimes. Uh, do yeah. they buy influencers? Yes, they do. It's really very difficult. I had a lunch meeting with a guy who founded uh, Creative Artists of America, CAA. And we were just talking about YouTube and stuff. And and he said, you know, probably the days of becoming a YouTube influencer, they're probably over. But now we have new things that are happening like TikTok. And there's also a Google competitor that's also going to be branching out called Tinga that we're actually part of the beta testing. And that should be giving it a run for its money as well like to check that out. It's Kim Commando. Go to commando.com. I always appreciate the time, Kim. You got it. Can we do it again soon? Sure. You betcha, Joe. Anytime. Hey, remember, Kim answers your questions on the air, and it's really easy. If you have a tough question that you're dealing with, something digital, you can get unbiased tech advice that you can trust. Just go to commando.com, and in the upper right-hand corner, click on Be a Caller. We're going to ask you a couple of questions about your question, and then a producer will get back in touch with you so we can set you up for a call on the show. We appreciate it. And up next... The new Stanford Hospital in Palo Alto, California, is being called the Hospital of the Future because of all the technology that they're using to help make their patients have a better experience. We'll hear from the Vice President and Chief of Applications at New Stanford Hospital, Gary Fritz, next on Commando on Demand Insider. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. This is Commando On Demand, where we talk to some of the most influential people in technology, the innovators that shape the future and trailblazers who challenge and inspire us to do amazing things. 
Nobody wants to be in the hospital. As a matter of fact, the uh, number one goal when you check into a hospital is to get checked out. And today we're going to learn about technology that can help people get better faster using technology. How technology is changing the way that people are being treated in hospitals. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the new Stanford Hospital in Palo Alto, California. It's being called the Hospital of the Future. Over $2 billion to build, 824,000 square feet, new level one trauma center and emergency department are more than 368 private rooms, over 600 private rooms overall, three acres of of floor space, this goes on and on, 20 operating rooms, five gardens with walking trails, that sounds pretty nice, and we're joined by Gary Fritz, who's the vice president and chief of applications at the new Stanford Hospital uh, Mr. Fritz, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us on Commando on Demand. Good afternoon, Mike. It's a delight to talk to you. And you're the uh, the IT guy, the background guy. Is that correct? Yeah, I run. Chief, I'm the chief of the application, so I handle um, all the software at the Stanford Healthcare, in particular the new Stanford Hospital. My um, counterparts, uh, Christian Lundmark, is the CTO. He handles the infrastructure. Uh, Johan Vedas does uh, applications, and Aditya Basun does our our custom software development. So we have a, uh, a very strong team that supports uh, the new Stanford Hospital. So we're going to get into the specifics of medical technology, of course. But how has technology in general changed the way that people are being treated in hospitals and for medical conditions? Uh, it's transformational from the patient perspective, from the perspective of the direct caregiver, doctors and nurses, and from the support staff, the pharmacists, the people that work in the supply chain, uh, folks that support direct caregivers. Um, the new Stanford Hospital uh, has automated or advanced the technology in really all of those areas. Uh, it, of course, starts with the patient. So a patient um, is first introduced to Stanford um, through their, typically through their physician or their clinician, uh, and they have often a My Health application. It's an application that runs on iPhone and Android devices, and it's the patient portal. So they connect to their doctor and to the entire health system through that portal. We've developed a new version of that portal with the new Stanford Hospital that allows the patient to see uh, what will happen to them uh, for them before they arrive at the hospital. Uh, It follows them through their patient journey uh, and helps them get discharged. As you mentioned earlier in the the segment, uh, it is is very important that uh, the patient is here to be to be taken care of, but ultimately uh, they'd like to go home um, well or better, and technology supports that. I'd like to get into that app a little bit later in the interview, and certainly we will. But from a, a patient's point of view, uh, now you're talking about a technological hospital here. When they check in, are they checked in by a robot? How does, how does that work? Sure. Great question. Uh, the um, There's a whole range of, of, of options. Um, if a patient is um, is scheduled for surgery and they are um, uh, technology, they're connected to us through My Health, as an example, they can be uh, automatically arrived or e-arrived as they walk in. Um, they We have location awareness systems, so they transition from being an outpatient or being a consumer to an inpatient. Uh, and we uh, share with them their information. So, so uh, the human touch is extremely important. Um, they are certainly met, patients are met um, by our patient access uh, people at the front door or in the emergency department or, or wherever, taken care of, taken to the rooms, 
um, and they begin their, you know, their journey at the, at the hospital. But technology underpins that both directly for the patient, for their family members, uh, and for the people that are taking care of them. So you mentioned emergency services. Uh, are there special things in your emergency service that but you might not find somewhere else, like, I don't know, coordination with uh, the ambulances as they're coming in, with the hospitals and doctors, and, or, or any, anything like that? Well, that's a great question. So this uh, emergency department, um, the new one, is three times the size of the, of the previous ED. Uh, we're a level one trauma center, which means we take care of the sickest patients uh, and we are designated for uh, uh, as disa- if there is a da- disaster in the area. So we've designed the the, um, the emergency department to scale uh, many different ways. Uh, we are in a seismically active area, Northern California, of course. Um, uh, so this um, this new hospital is designed to withstand an 8.0 earthquake, uh, which is uh, which is incredible. It actually is engineered so the ground can move. Uh, up to six feet in any direction, and the hospital remains still. So we're going to be there um, taking care of patients uh, in in the event of an emergency. We, so we've designed the hospital to be to support uh, day-to-day operations and also uh, significant traumatic events or disasters. I believe somewhere that uh, they said that the parking lot is actually actually been designed for that if needed as well. That's exactly right. We have a, a, a three-story parking structure we built next to the hospital, and it's designed um, with uh, technology, passive technology in the background, that if there isn't a, a, uh, a situation where a disaster or a mass casualty event, the entire um, parking structure can be converted into a, an emergency department. So we've already got wireless access points there, power, um, various other things that you need in order to um, to scale up uh, to uh, a significant event. It's a, it's a remarkable building. It is. It's uh, very cool. Now, the new Stanford Hospital also, uh, I read, takes a holistic approach, which is like the whole body approach to uh, getting well, which is, I think, a little bit different than the old-fashioned way of having uh, separate departments and do- working on different things. Is the design of the hospital any different than a traditional hospital? Well, it is. Uh, it is uh, designed to take care of um, patients of, of all ranges, including the sickest patients, and it's an integrated model. So, so nurses and doctors, of course, are working closely together, pharmacists, um, occupational therapists, physical therapists. They, use, they, they not only work directly with the patient and with each other, um, but they use technology to connect uh, to each other to support that, that patient journey. So so we're delivering great care, but we're also using secure communications to connect doctors and nurses. Um, we're using robotic systems to deliver um, linens and laundry to and from the new hospital. We're filling uh, prescriptions with, uh, with robots in our pharmacy. So we've, we've thoughtfully selected advanced technologies to support collaborative care. To that uh, end, how is artificial intelligence being used to run the hospital and make it more efficient? Yeah, we're at the front end of that. That's a great question. Um, artificial intelligence and machine learning is really uh, coming into all aspects of, of uh, technology at hospitals, in patient access, to improve access to, uh, to clinicians, um, with uh, supporting uh, areas like the lab and radiology, um, also into, into patient rooms. 
So Stanford has um, really a couple of missions and just sort of to back up a little bit, Stanford Healthcare is part of Stanford Medicine, which is um, chartered to uh, deliver great patient care, uh, educate the next generation of doctors, and also to uh, create um, uh, medical advancements to do research and, uh, and push the, the, the boundaries of, of, uh, of medicine. In that area, uh, Stanford researchers are doing quite a bit with artificial intelligence. That would be in radiology, in design, in a number of areas. Uh, we're using the new Stanford Hospital, which has you know, only been open a couple of months, as, as both a, a platform for innovation. So we're collecting data from, from the hospital uh, and the interactions in the hospital. But our physician researchers are then using that data to apply it into the hospital. We're just at the front end of that. Uh, but our uh, 104 um, new ICUs are being uh, wired with uh, vision systems and thermal imaging systems. So ultimately, with the patient consent, um, they will be used to identify uh, you know, clinical behaviors. Ultimately, AI systems will then influence those behaviors or provide information for the, for the physicians so they can influence the behavior. Yeah, it's uh, this whole, you actually mentioned the uh, pharmacy using robotics is, is completely fascinating. Our guest is Mr. Gary Fritz. He's the vice president and chief of applications at the new Stanford Hospital. Up next, we're going to talk about some of the little robots they've got running around at the hospital, as well as they are tracking patients and healthcare professionals at the hospital where they are at any moment. We're going to find out if there's been any pushback from that and how that all works Next on Commando On Demand. Since our founding in 2000, we at the Center for Internet Security have always had one mission. It's to create confidence in the connected world for people, businesses, and governments. As a nonprofit, we do this by drawing upon our core competencies of collaboration and innovation. The world is changing, cyber threats are evolving, and IT resources are limited. All you want is a way to strengthen your cybersecurity programs efficiently and effectively. Let CIS help you with these efforts. We use a consensus-based process involving IT professionals from around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources are proven to defend systems and data against threats, both on-premises and in the cloud. We also strive to help organizations of every size and maturity strengthen their cybersecurity programs. This includes serving U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations. At CIS, we're all about making the connected world a safer place. Visit our website to learn more. It's Commando On Demand, and our special guest this week is Gary Fritz. He's the Vice President and Chief of Applications at the new Stanford Hospital. Before we left, we wanted to get into the little robots. You guys have little robots running around at the hospital? Well, it's a great question. So we have 28 automated guided vehicles. So imagine uh, the new Stanford Hospital uh, Next to the, um, the the previous one, both running um, uh, full, fully, um, and also connected to Lucille Packard's Children's Hospital. So we've got close to to four million square feet of of hospital and clinic here, and we have one loading dock. So as you can imagine, there's a huge amount of of uh, back office um, activities that need to occur. Things like delivering clean linen to the floors, um, taking dirty laundry med gases, things like that. We measured the distance from the, um, uh, from the loading dock to the farthest point in the new hospital, and the round trip is 1.3 miles. Mm-hmm. So we realized that's not really something a, 
that is particularly enriching and and uh, and uh, for a person to do. So we thought, let's use um, robotic vehicles to deliver um, things to the floors or to the to the places they need to go. And we're starting out with relatively simple things, as I said, clean linen and dirty laundry. But we're going to be advancing that so we can deliver uh, quite a few things, making it just easier to to um, for our clinicians and our back office folks to talk to the patient and to be with the patient and, and really take those routine tasks away. So, so 28 total vehicles, 23 of them for the, the new Stanford hospital and, and five of them for um, Lucille Packard Children's Hospital. As technology advances, it's getting more and more easy to put little chips on whatever they are, phones or your wrists or whatever, to kind of keep better track of what's going on in your hospital. And there was one thing in here that said that uh, sensors will track the location of staff and equipment in real time, which is great. But have you had any pushback from staff about, I don't want you to know where I am at all times, or is there any limitations there that you have to watch out for? Well, well, a little bit. The, the the thing that that you need to think about, or we think about, with location uh, sensors for staff is is the safety component of it. And when you imagine imagine being in an emergency department that's very active, very sick patients, um, you know, a lot of emotion. If a if a if a nurse or a doctor needs help, if they're with a patient alone and in a room, um, they need to be able to get help quickly. And the RTLS sensors uh, have a button on them. You can press press it, and it's a staff assist. So, so other other clinicians come, or security, or whomever it is. So, so it actually creates a safer environment, which is useful. Um, beyond that, uh, we're able to use this location sensing technology to take some of the other routine tasks off the off the plate of the nurse or the aide or whomever. So an example, you know, might be uh, a patient um, in a in a in a room. Uh, presses the nurse call button to to have a, a nurse come in and do something. Uh, that that sound and just sort of managing nurse call can be difficult and and uh, somewhat onerous for both the patient and, and the nurse. The RTLS sensors uh, are integrated here with our nurse call system. So as the nurse walks into the patient room, it automatically turns off um, the alarm. So the nurse doesn't have to navigate to the head wall of the of the uh, of the bed and try to find the button to to deal with that so we can what we've tried to do with rtls type location uh, uh, services is make it just a little easier to function in the hospital what does rtlf stand for real-time location uh, sensors so okay. real-time location services actually um, we also use it by the way for uh, biomedical equipment so um a certain percentage of the time each day a nurse uh, or an aide uh, is looking for a mobile piece of equipment, whether it's an infusion pump or a some sort of telemetry device or whatnot. Um, we've tagged those, asset tagged those devices, so we can tell you um, to room level accuracy where the devices are. Um, and that takes a little bit more burden off of the, you know, off of the nurses and the aides as well. I need that on everything in my house. Please. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, okay. So going back to the app, what does it do? First, you can even uh, turn the app on and find out what's going to happen before you get to the hospital. But from there, what happens and how, how much can you share with family and friends and members that are, might be worried about the patient? You can, and, and, and patients do um, allow proxy access to their family members and, and close caregivers. 
And uh, and when you sort of think about it, it that makes a, a lot of sense. I mean, when you're if you're a patient who is uh, who is ill, maybe seriously ill, you you may want your family member or caregiver to have information that can help you get better, to improve communication and to uh, move the care process along. So so my health um, developed here at Stanford has uh, a number of interesting uh, components to it, and and uh, I'll share a couple with you. So. So the patient experience at a you know at a hospital starts before sometimes long before uh, they get to the hospital. My health uh, presents information to the patient or the caregiver uh, about their uh, their stay, um, what will happen when they need to be here, the registration, that sort of thing. But what, the interesting uh, thing that has been added or a feature we've added to uh, to my health uh, is is as the patient transitions, they enter the, the front door, the lobby, and they become an inpatient, we give them a whole other set of applications. Their iPhone or their Android device dynamically changes, you know, in the background, and they're able to then have more information about their journey inside the hospital. So they get a map that has a blue dot turn-by-turn directions. If they choose to go to their room uh, directly without you know, without a Stanford person, they can, they can navigate themselves. They're much like Google maps for a, for a building. But then um, how do you, the question uh, really is how do you demystify the healthcare experience? So we also present um, all the members of the care team. So the names um, and pictures of the doctors and nurses and other people that are taking care of the patient. And we, we know that because our electronic health system um, has it, has it inside of it. So, so when a physician or nurse is working on a shift, they're in there. And when the next person that takes over for the next shift, they become available. So, so the patient or the family member knows exactly who's taking care of that patient at any given time. That is an important idea because it, it helps as a frame of reference. It certainly doesn't replace in-person connections, but it helps to know the name and the, and the, and the picture. I know your time is limited. I just have a couple of more questions. I find this fascinating. Um, and again, thank you for being with us. You mentioned the Apple Watch and the app on the Apple Watch and how it kind of changes it. Does uh, the medical staff trust the information like the new Apple Watches can do ECG? Of course, they can take the pulse and I don't know if they can do uh, probably blood pressure. Does the medical community there actually trust that information on the Apple Watch or for that matter, Android watches and uh, some of the stuff that they can get? I won't speak for the medical community, but I will say that the Apple Heart Study, which uh, is most often quoted about that, there's about a 400,000 patients or or people that were part of the Apple the Apple Heart Study. Mm-hmm. Um, that was designed and administered by two Stanford physicians. So we are, uh, you know, professionally obligated to to uh, uh, to talk a little bit about that. I, I think the um, it is a it's a game changer. Um, wearables uh, like that. Uh, give access to information to both the person that's wearing them and their care team in ways uh, we're only beginning to understand now. The um, the studies that are starting to come out, like the Apple Heart study, suggest that it is possible to identify more quickly and more accurately um, significant heart issues um, as they occur. That is is amazing. So when we're thinking about um, how technology works outside of the hospital in the larger sense. Stanford, um, we, we do um, invest a significant amount of time and energy into thinking about wearables and virtual health and ways that you can extend 
um, great care beyond the walls of the hospital. I know you remember a while back the uh, security issues. There was malware at a hospital, took all the files uh, hostage. And I'm, I can only imagine for this hospital all the files that – I don't know if you have them locally or do you do the cloud or some kind of both. But can you talk about that for a little bit and then the security that uh, you guys use to make sure that it doesn't uh, get to the wrong hands? Yeah, there's – Security at uh, any hospital is a very significant uh, discussion and a very significant issue. It is um, focused on by uh, both uh, IT leadership and operational leadership, and in fact has has very senior uh, exposure. So, so uh, we at Standard, of course, take security very uh, very seriously, um, and we uh, have a. Um, have a, a, a strong security program that uh, that focuses on protection of data uh, and continuity of, of care. And that's really the most important thing that a, that a health system can do. What is the most impressive piece of equipment? What does it do that you've seen there and that you just uh, amazes you? The technology that's in the operating rooms right now is just jaw-dropping. Um, neurosurgery, for example, uh, a couple of, a couple of uh, parts to that. Uh, neurosurgeons are using 3D virtual reality to design um, how they're going to evaluate a tumor and how they're going to uh, proceed with the surgery. Those 3D VR reconstructions are available to patients to help them understand, you know, their journey. And that information is used in the ORs. Um, I was reading uh, actually yesterday about it from a from a, um, a communication inside Stanford Medicine about an amazing new technology that um, one of our uh, oncologist scientists has developed, has developed. Um, and it, uh, when, when put into a patient, uh, it's a targeted dye that connects only to the tumor in a, in a, in a patient's brain. And when it's certain light is, is shined on it, it fluoresces. So you can actually see specifically the tumor in the brain so the neurosurgeon can, can be more effective. It, there are game-changing um, technologies that are coming through the operating rooms and through neurosurgical cardiovascular surgery, orthopedic surgery. It's just amazing. Yeah, that's almost my last question there is kind of what is the future of medical technology? Do you see anything that really makes you excited? But, I mean, more than you just talked about. Uh, precision medicine and precision health is is amazing. Um, targeting, developing drugs that target specific um, disease conditions or tumors specifically for a patient are being engineered now. It's it's absolutely incredible. Uh, gene sequencing and and working through um, how how one understands inheritable diseases is is just amazing. Um, the other thing, though, that and we're talking about very sophisticated technologies, um, items like virtual health, connecting to your doctor through, you know, a Skype session or a, a WebEx that allows patients who can't necessarily get to that in person with that physician access to world-class medical care is really changing 
um, the way technology is del- about where healthcare is delivered using technology. Oh, it's for, a it's a it's a remarkable field for both sides. Yeah, absolutely. Gary yes. Gary Fritz, Vice President uh, and Chief of Applications at New Stanford Hospital. Thank you so much for being on Commando on Demand. We've got a lot of great information here. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. If you'd like more information on the new Stanford Hospital, just go to stanfordhealthcare.org. That's stanfordhealthcare.org. We thank again Gary Fritz. Also, Joe Paggs for letting us use the Commando interview. I want to, of course, thank Kim Commando for letting me help out here on the podcast. And we all want to thank you for listening. If you love the information that you hear on these podcasts, don't forget to subscribe so that you get these episodes downloaded to your device every single week, even as you sleep. And we'll see you next time on Commando On Demand Insider. Take care.